This chapter, chapter four, has been just a, a wonderful chapter for us as we've been going through this chapter, uh, our third week now in chapter four. We're gonna finish it here today. But it's helping us in gaining a right perspective of the Christian life and this wonderful ministry that we get to be a part of in, in holding this incredible truth of the gospel, uh, the new covenant message that we saw in chapter three, and we get to share this with other people. This is uh, the wonderful blessing we have as believers, not only knowing what we have for ourselves, but being able to pass it on to others. And Paul's been pointing out for us that even though he may go through times where he's getting knocked around, it's so that the life of Jesus may all the more come out, get spilled out and be passed on to others. Notice what he said in verse 12, where we left off last week or where we finished up last week. Verse 12 says, so then death is working in us, but life in you. And you go, man, that sounds like so morbid. Paul, what are you dealing with here? But you see, Paul is simply saying he was willing to lay his life down. He was willing to surrender even to the point of death if it would cause Jesus to shine all the more and have people turning to Christ by his life being laid down in this way. Paul was okay with death because ultimately it brought life. There's no glory without suffering. There's no resurrection without the crucifixion, right? That's why these earthen vessels, that picture that Paul addressed in verse seven of chapter four, the earthen vessel picture is so important because we're not to promote ourselves. We're not to be puffing ourselves up. Polishing and protecting this, these vessels is really missing the point of what it's to be all about in the Christian life. These vessels are earthen. They're meant to get bumped around so that the contents will indeed spill out but those bumps and bangs, they're not to worry us. They're not to cause us to doubt God's goodness and faithfulness and love towards us. No, they're to allow all the more the power of God to kick in and do his work that's outside of us and beyond us. So notice where Paul says here now in verse 13, and we're gonna look at the purpose of affliction. We're gonna talk about affliction today. I'm actually glad for that. Yay, affliction. No, nobody's gonna be cheering that, but we're gonna see the purpose of affliction, the promises through affliction, and the perspective in affliction, all right? The purposes of affliction, the promises through affliction, and the perspective in affliction. Verse 13, so look at the purposes of affliction. Paul says again, we'll read it, verse 13. And, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. So what Paul does is he says, he, he looks back on what was written, not what he's written in his own epistle, as he did oftentimes, but he's looking beyond what he's written. He's looking back on the word of God and what has been written far before him. He takes us right back to Psalm 116. In fact, if you can turn over to Psalm chapter 116, I said in the second service, Psalm 116, everybody's confused. Chapter one, verse 16, no, 116, all right? Everybody with me? Turn there with me if you can, Psalm 116. And Paul's quoting for this passage because it's a good thing, isn't it, to look back and to glean from those that have gone before us that have experienced things already that we might be experiencing right now or that we might be about to experience because we've seen people write and share from their own experiences from the scriptures to say, hey, I've been in this position and guess what? I've made it through to share my experience and to share what God's done through it. That's important for us to glean and remember what's happening because notice what Paul is addressing here. 
the same spirit of faith is at work in us as to what was taking place or working in and through others before us. So he quotes from Psalm 116, verse 10, which simply says, uh, I believed, therefore I spoke. That's what Paul quotes here. But it goes on to say in Psalm 116, verse 10, I believe, therefore I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. Now let's back it up a little bit and go back to verse eight, look at this in a bit more in context, because what the psalmist is saying is this, starting from verse eight, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And then he says, I believed, therefore I spoke. I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are, are liars. Women don't circle that passage right there. But <laughs> verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Now that passage can sound kind of clunky when you just sort of look at it. But the idea here is that the psalmist has been rescued from imminent death. He says, you've delivered my soul, verse eight, you've delivered my soul from death, right? And, and my eyes from tears, my feet from falling. And now he's saying that uh, in faith, he will walk in the land of the living before the Lord. He has believed and so he's speaking it out. He's speaking it out confidently to say, man, I was at the place of where I was like, I was down for the count. I was ready to, to, to give it all up, but the Lord has delivered me. I'm still here. I'm walking in the land of the living. The psalmist is expressing by this spirit of faith, this confidence he has in the Lord and preserving him. And Paul says, hey, it's that same spirit of faith that's, that's working in us right now. The same spirit of faith that caused that psalmist to boldly move forward in the face of affliction is that same spirit of faith that worked in Paul's life and every believer's life. It's the same spirit of faith that the, the writer of Hebrews, when he's running out of time in, in chapter 11, writing this great hall of faith chapter, the, the, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight or flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. So the same spirit of faith that was working through these heroes of the faith to do great exploits for God, the same spirit, Paul says, is working in us, the same spirit of faith working in, in him and working among believers. Do you believe that? Do you, do you walk by that spirit of faith that says, oh man, though I might have something in front of me that seems pretty daunting and pretty heavy, oh, I'm gonna believe the Lord. I'm gonna continue to speak out now by faith the goodness of God. Others have gone through it. They faced worse than I have. I, I mean, you read through what these guys went through in Hebrews 11 and you're like, Lord, thank you for sparing me from that. I mean, they've gone through worse and yet they continued on by faith, believing in the Lord. And it's the same spirit that's working in us and through us. There's not you know, some lesser spirit that gets passed on to those that are, you know, maybe not quite at that elevation of these heroes of the faith. It's, there's not a variant spirit here that's like, well, that's kind of for a bit more of the, the outcasts here. It's the same spirit, same spirit of God that leads us in walking in faith. And Paul is led to not only believe this internally, but to speak it out 
externally. And that's faith in action that Paul is writing about here. In fact, we read, I mean, it, it, it's amazing to think about this spirit at work in us. Because Paul would say in Romans 8, verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Think about that. So do you guys understand? Like the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead, the greatest miracle, raising him up from the dead, resurrected power is the same spirit at work in you. How about that? That's incredible. That's what we have. And so why should we fear, worry, doubt, stress over the things that are in front of us, the afflictions, the adversities, the trials that we might face? Why should we worry? We have the same spirit of faith at work in us. So Paul has great faith and belief in the message and the, and the ministry that he was entrusted with. He spoke out the truth. And here's the deal, if it meant suffering, Paul knew it was just a precursor to God's resurrection power. That's what we read in verse 14, knowing, he says, knowing. I mean, this isn't just Paul wishing. This isn't Paul going, man, and I hope by that same spirit of faith that this can, no, he says, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. That's the attitude, the confidence that Paul has. Paul isn't sweating out the trials the tribulations, he's not stressing over these things. He knows that even if they lead to death, it's not the end. Even if it brings him to the point of death, he has his spirit of faith by which he knows that he too will be raised up to eternal life. Now, I understand some of us, you know, might go, yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm ready and willing to lay my life down for Jesus. I'm willing to lay my life down to the point of, in fact, sometimes I think it's easier for us to say that because we know as believers that our death just leads to our graduation into eternal life, resurrected life, right? That we're gonna be in the presence of the Lord at the point of death. So some of us are like, hey, if my life needs to die, then, then so be it, I'm ready for that. But it's the suffering part that we're like, no, I don't wanna go there. Let's not talk about suffering. I can talk about dying any day. But when we talk about suffering and afflictions, like, Lord, no, no, please keep me from that. I don't know if I'm, I'm ready for that. That's a whole nother thing altogether. But notice what Paul has to say about that. Look at verse 15. And again, we're looking at the, the purpose of afflictions. Paul says in verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Everything that Paul has gone through in any trial that he might face and still has to face, he recognized it's serving a purpose. It's allowing others to hear the gospel, to hear this message of grace, that you're saved by grace through faith, that Jesus has died for you to save you, to give you eternal life. It's this message of grace that he gets to share now with others. No longer the old covenant, but the new covenant, chapter three, right, talks about. And, and it's causing thanksgiving to abound to who? To the glory of God. Paul's recognizing that there are purposes that are being fulfilled and the purposes of God prevailing through affliction. And Paul was willing to say, whatever it takes. All things, he says, are for your sakes. He's recognizing that his trials aren't just serving a purpose in him as we know they do, 
trials are given to us so that we can be refined, so that we can be, you know, challenged, changed, and made in the image of Christ. It's gonna happen through trials. But Paul says these trials are not just doing a work in me and for me, they're doing a work for others. Do you ever look at your trials in that way? Do you ever look at the adversity and the afflictions you face in the way of saying, Lord, what do you wanna do for others through my trial? I mean, I, I, would, I would imagine that a lot of us would, you know, think, man, when I'm in a trial, I get very self-focused. It's all about self-preservation. It's all about, hey, everybody, I'm going through it right now, man. You need to help me out here. And we just get very inward focused. But yet Paul says, all things are for your sakes. And not just for your sakes, but ultimately for the glory of God. You see, God wants to use your trials and afflictions so that he can show his power and might and goodness. That's why we have these earthen vessels. It's so that we don't contain it all, so that we're not, again, like I said earlier, polishing up our vessels to show, look at how wonderful we are. It's so these earthen vessels can't help but hold these things in and leak it out so that others can see the wonders and the greatness of God. And what a way that is to handle our pain and problems, isn't it? To know that God may be allowing that in your life to minister to others. And not only to minister to others, but to bring glory to God. I've said it many times. I'm gonna say it again right now. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for God. God created us so that we would be those vessels that bring honor and praise to him. God's not existing out there to go, what can I do for you today? What do you need? Are you okay? Are you comfortable enough? Can I tuck you in a little bit more and just make you a little bit more at peace there? God's not existing. He's created us to bring honor and glory to him. Now you might go, oh man, why do I have? It's in bringing honor and glory to him that you are going to find the most satisfying, enjoyable life. Because there's nothing enjoyable that comes when you are self focus when it's all about self-preservation because you're going to quickly realize that not other people have that focus on you <laughs> wait a second don't you know what i'm going through how can i be a little bit more helpful a little bit more kind to me not everyone's going to line up with your agenda it's a miserable way to live when you're all about yourself but the minute we say lord man my life isn't for me all things are for the sake of others, but ultimately for the glory of God. That's gonna be the most satisfying, enjoyable way to live life. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. May we live our lives every day going, Lord, here's a new day you've given me. What do you wanna accomplish in my life? It's not, what do I wanna see happen for my life today? It's God, what do you wanna accomplish in and through my life today for your glory and the blessing and benefit of others? That's how we're to live. And that's the enjoyable life to live. Do you live in a manner where you seek God's glory above your comfort? Where your aim is to see others come to experience the glory of God? Because that's the exciting life, my friends. That's the life that doesn't get bummed out 
when things don't go as expected or as you would like them to. That's what Paul says next. Look at verse 16. We've seen the purposes of affliction. Let's look at the promises through affliction. And we read in verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Notice Paul takes us right back to the same thought he started this chapter with. Chapter four, verse one begins with Paul saying, therefore, since we have this ministry, the great ministry of the new covenant, that, that good news of God's grace and salvation that he talked about in chapter three, he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Because remember, Paul's getting, he's getting attacked. He's getting criticized. He's getting called a lesser than apostle or not a true apostle at all. Paul says, oh, we've got a great ministry. We don't lose heart. But now he brings up again in verse 16. Therefore, in the midst of all the trials we might have, and remember in verse eight, he mentions those things. We're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. No matter what we go through, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Paul knew that there were reasons and there were circumstances perhaps where people could lose heart, but the believer does not need to lose heart. Why? Because as Paul's been dressing, God is doing a work through it all. He's working on something better through our affliction, not only for you in strengthening you, but he's doing a work in others and ultimately for the glory of God. Paul saw that the physical man, the physical body may be getting beat up, but the spiritual man, the inward man is growing up. It's being strengthened, it says, day by day, renewed day by day. Paul would pray in Ephesians 3.16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That's what Paul wanted above all. Again, not, not just protection outwardly, but more so, oh, that that inner man may be strengthened. Now, understand something, there's not a lot of hope for the outward man. We're all in a state of decay. And the quicker that we just understand that and own up to that, the better we're gonna be. Because we got a lot of resources out there that are trying to help the outer man, right? There's, there's a, a, a big industry that we are, are feeding continuously, trying to just put on that veneer, trying to make it appear like the outer man is all good, but we know it's not. It's decaying, it's, it's falling apart. The quicker we accept that, the better we're gonna be, I think, right? Doesn't take much for us to understand that this body isn't meant to last forever. In fact, you know your body's breaking down when you go down to straighten out the wrinkles in your socks and you realize you're not wearing any. <laughs> and while you're down there, you're thinking of other things you can do while you're down there. But, I've heard as you get older there, you gain a lot of, you know, get up and go. You, you, you have to get up and go at 1 a.m. in the morning, get up and go at 3 a.m. in the morning. You gotta get up to go again at 5 a.m. It's not fun getting old, right? But here's the deal. Our hope is not in the outward man. That, that's what Paul's talking about here. Oh, we may be going through all these things, hard-pressed, crushed, persecuted, struck down, but that's, that's what might happen to the outer man. But that's not our concern. That's not our, our worry. Oh, it's perishing, but 
inwardly there's something happening that is a benefit that, that supersedes and goes beyond anything that might be happening in the outward man. Our hope is in the inward man being renewed and transformed day by day. Paul says in verse 17, he says, for our light affliction is but for a moment. It's working for us a, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, interesting because when Paul says that our uh, light affliction, he uses this word here in the Greek. Who remembers that word? Philipsis, remember that word? It's from chapter one, verse three, or sorry, verse four, where it says, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That word tribulation that Paul uses there is that Greek word thalipsis. It's here translated as affliction. This is that idea of having this pressing against us, this, this being a hard press, this, this pressure that comes against us. Paul says that the God of all comfort may comfort us with any, anything we might go through in any tribulation that we might comfort others. Paul's been stating this, that we have this opportunity now as earthen vessels to let this good news and this treasure within us shine forth in the midst of pressing. <clears throat> we get pressed, light affliction, that, that good news may just, might just ooze out of us and be passed on to others, comforting, encouraging, and strengthening others. But now, so we see this idea that Paul's been building on right from chapter one, but it's almost humorous when you look at verse 17 and you hear Paul say, our light affliction. Wait a second, Paul. You don't know what I'm going through. How can you call what I'm going through a light affliction? Let's compare what Paul has had to go through. Turn to chapter six of 2 Corinthians, verse four. <clears throat> chapter six, verse four, here's what Paul writes. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults and labors and sleeplessness and in fastings. Hey guys, that's the short list. Turn over to chapter 11 with me. Because again, we, we go through that and we go, oh boy, yeah, Paul, all right. You're making my problems seem a little bit more or less significant. But look at chapter 11, verse 23. Here Paul really gets into it. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 11, verse 23, and... Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Listen, people would basically die just from that. And he's gone through that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, again, biblical context, not today. That means something entirely different now for some snow. This is not giving you any allowance here. Three times I was shipwrecked. Notice this, a night and a day I've been in the deep. Shipwrecked, lost in the ocean, a night and a day. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, 
in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he's got the gall to say this, besides the other things. I'm like, how can there be other things? You've just gone through the gamut of them all. I'm like, can it get any worse? And he goes, oh, you know what? I won't even mention the other things because it's just like, I think you get the idea, right? Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. And we sit here and think sometimes, oh, Paul, if you only knew the pain and the suffering that I've had to endure. How loved ones don't want to invite me over for Thanksgiving anymore. I've been dealing with an ingrown toenail for the last year. Paul, you don't know the suffering I've been through. Paul knows. In fact, I would say it pales, our suffering pales in comparison to the things that Paul has endured. And yet here's the guy that comes along and he says, our light affliction. It's interesting, the only time that that word is used elsewhere in scripture is in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary laden, I will give you rest. He goes on to say in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Paul understood that serving the Lord is not a burdensome, heavy thing. It's light. And any suffering we might endure for the Lord is but a light affliction. It's nothing. And he says, not only is it a light affliction, but notice this, he says, it is for a moment. This is just a moment. Now, I understand this can mean different things to different people. That measurement of a moment might vary for certain people. For instance, if I were trying to get out of the house with my wife, we were, we're getting to an appointment somewhere, and I say, honey, we're gonna be late if we don't get going. And if she says, I'll be there in a moment, that's not what Paul has in mind here. No, that's a totally different time evaluation of moment there. Paul means, no, no, not that. No, this light affliction that we experience in this world is but for a moment. How can he say that? What does he mean by that? It's a moment in comparison to eternity. That's what Paul is saying. See, when we enter into the glory of our savior, Jesus Christ, when we enter into eternity, we're gonna look back on this life and we're gonna see in comparison to the greatness of eternity that this all was just a moment, a fleeting moment, a, a blip. In fact, James would say that our life is but a vapor. What's a vapor? It goes up and it just disappears. It's all since they gone, barely saw it. That's what we're gonna say about our life. And, and, and then we wonder like, why do we, why do we agonize and, and stress over all the things that come against us, all the things that we struggle with, all the suffering we might endure? We need to have a perspective and a, a view of eternity because then we can say like, Paul, all this, it's just a light, a light affliction, which is just seriously for a moment. Oh, I understand it doesn't feel like it, some of you are saying, this affliction feels like it's been going on for so long. But I promise you this, there's gonna come a day when you look back on that and go, why did I let that drag me down, sour me, discourage me? Why did I get so focused on that? Because that was just so temporary. It was just for a moment. There will come a day 
when you'll realize, why did I waste so much time worrying about those things and not looking more with an eternal lens on what's around me? In fact, Paul says, all these things are working out for us a more exceeding eternal weight. I want you to see that, a weight of glory here. See, again, that's why we need to look with an eternal view because we understand what is coming is gonna be so much greater and that everything we're encountering right now, we're gonna one day say it was all worth it. In fact, Paul would say in Romans uh, 8.18, I'll see if I can find it here. Romans 8.18, he says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, notice something here. That word worthy right here, it's the Greek word axios. Axios, where, you know, we kind of get our word axel. What Paul is kind of looking at here is this, this again, scale. And so what Paul says is you can take all the sufferings that you might go through in this world and you put it on this side of the scale. And now let's put all the glory which is coming, which is not just going to be that which we see, but that which is going to be revealed in us. That boggles my mind right there. That is a whole nother sermon. But the glory which will be revealed in us, he says, take all that glory, put it on this side. And no matter how heavy this suffering might feel, the scales are going to tip in favor of glory and what we are going to receive in heaven every time. There is not anything you can put on this side of the scale that we're going to encounter in this world that's going to cause those scales to tip in the favor of suffering being more pronounced or prominent in our lives. Glory is going to win out every time. It's not even, Paul says, it's not even worthy to compare what's coming. Don't even try to say, Lord, I hope that heaven's going to be worth it for what I've had to endure here in this world. Lord, I hope you got some big plan for me because man, I have really suffered, let me tell you. I've really been through it and it, it better match up with what I'm getting. Paul goes, it's not even worthy to be compared. Don't even, don't even go there. You can't even begin to think that, is it gonna be worth it? I, 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 again, second promise I'm gonna make for you today. What was the first one? I can't remember, but here's the second one. <laughs> second promise is that you're gonna stand before the Lord one day and you will say, it's all been worth it. It's all been worth it. I will take all those sufferings, double, triple, to receive what I'm receiving for eternity. Now, what is that eternal weight of glory exactly that Paul is talking about? What is it we're all to be longing for? It's the beauty of being in the presence of Jesus when our eternal redemption is complete and we stand before him complete and his righteousness faultless, Jude tells us. It's witnessing the beauty of resurrected life and the glories of heaven that, that the Bible says, oh man, we cannot even begin to describe what God has prepared for those that love him. We can't even begin to imagine our, our minds, finite as they are, cannot even think up the grandeur and the greatness of heaven. We can't even dream. We're gonna go one day and be in the presence of the Lord and go, this is so much better than I could have ever imagined. It's going to be glorious, my friends. 
that's that eternal weight of glory that far outweighs any affliction. In fact, that affliction is just light in comparison to the greatness of that glory. Peter would write in 1 Peter 4:18, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, oh, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. That's what our reaction is gonna be. We're gonna be glad with exceeding joy when we are confronted with the glory of Jesus. Hold that in front of you so that you can partake of the sufferings of Christ, knowing that the sufferings of Christ are gonna lead to greater glory. In fact, the greater the suffering, the greater our future glory will be. Listen to what P. Barnett says. He says, according to Paul, our troubles are achieving for us the glory of which he writes. It is not that he viewed sufferings as good works or as virtuous in themselves. They do not automatically or mechanically intensify the glory. Rather, it is that troubles cause us to fix our eyes on what is seen, uh, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Troubles help us to understand that there is no future for us here in this tawdry, fading existence. Therefore, we focus interesting, increasingly on the unseen, resurrected, and glorified Christ. We also see in this passage now, this amazing kind of pyramid building mountain that we have. F.E. Marsh points out that this work of God does not tire the weary climber, but brings unspeakable rest and comfort to a soul because we see we don't just have glory. No, it's a weight of glory. Well, it's not just a weight of glory. It's an eternal weight of glory that's never gonna run out. Oh no, it's an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Oh wait, there's more. More exceeding and eternal weight of glory. But let's not stop there. It's a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What God has planned for us. What we as believers in Christ get to look forward to should cause us to see this weight that we have in Christ that just outweighs any light affliction and causes us to say, Lord, bring it on. Bring it on, Lord, because I know where this is all leading and I can't wait for that day. Lastly, we've seen the purpose of affliction so that we can share with others. All things are for your sakes, Paul says, we see now the promises through affliction that there's an exceeding eternal weight of glory awaiting us. And so we need to have this right perspective in affliction. Paul says in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Listen, if you focus on what's temporary, you're gonna be sorry but you focus on what's eternal, you'll have glory. And that's difficult because those are the things that are not seen. We don't have it right in front of us, visually, tangibly. And when you don't see something, you kind of tend not to worry about it or think about it. But what is seen, well, that's what we get ourselves so fixed on and oftentimes bummed out over because what we see are the problems and the, and the chaos and the, and the difficulty right in front of us. Many of us sitting in this room right now are coming in with heavy hearts, with challenges in front of us. And those are the things that we see. It's what's consuming us so often. But Paul says, let's be careful that we don't get ourselves so fixated on these things that we fail to look at the unseen. 
Because those things that are seen, all those things are temporary. Don't sweat it. Don't let it weigh you down. No, be weighed down by the weight of the glory that's coming, the things that are unseen. Get your eyes and attention and focus set on those things. That's what Paul tells us to do. What are those things that are, are not seen? It's the things of God. It could be the work he's doing presently in our lives, that he's, he's doing a work even in the midst of our suffering that we don't always readily see. It could be the things of heaven that Paul's been talking about, that exceeding an eternal weight of glory. No doubt it's that. But Paul says, get your sights fixed upon those things because they will begin to cause you to not be troubled over the things that are seen because those things that are unseen far outweigh the things that are seen. If we could ask the Apostle Paul, and I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up and I'm gonna close with a song here. If we could ask the Apostle Paul what he saw as life's greatest blessing, I suspect he would answer something like this. Personal salvation with its provision of the present and the future. For him, nothing else really mattered. He constantly looked beyond his trials and adversities, seeing the presence of Jesus Christ and rejoicing in the prospect of happiness in heaven with him. Romanian pastor Richard Wormbrandt spent 14 years in prison for preaching the gospel. Although his captors smashed four of his vertebrae and either cut or burned 18 holes in his body, they could not defeat him. He testified, alone in my cell, cold, hungry, and in rags, I danced for joy every night. During this time, he turned to a fellow prisoner, a man he had led to the Lord before they were arrested. And he asked him, have you any resentment against me that I brought you to Christ? That man's response was, I have no words to express my thankfulness that you have brought me to the wonderful Savior. I would never have it any other way. These two men exemplify the supernatural joy that can be experienced by believers who live on the edge of death as a result of being severely persecuted. Salvation, which brings strength for today and hope for tomorrow, it lasts forever. Therefore, we don't have to be defeated by troublesome circumstances and afflictions. When we know we are saved, we have the assurance that God is at work in our lives, preparing us for the eternal realities of the better world. Yep, salvation is life's greatest blessing. Hold on to it. But remember, we're earthen vessels where it's meant that treasure to be passed on and shared with others. Afflictions cause that to happen. Rejoice for the trials that you might be enduring and experiencing because they are working out a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for promises you give us through your word. And Lord, I pray for the church here today because we know and understand that there are our hurts, there are our sufferings, there are struggles that we all go through. And at times can be so very hard. But we thank you, Lord, that you are with us and you're doing a work in us and through us in the midst of it all. Help us again to realize that and to get our sights off of our problems and afflictions and onto you, onto the things that aren't seen because that's the reality for us. So may we have a right perspective and may we live faithful to you and for you. 
We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand together.